Welcome to From the Resort Podcast, episode number 18. Today is a very special day. It's probably the most uh, um, looking forward to episode that I've done so far in, in the series. We've got uh, Rod Drury uh, from Zero, who I was able to meet, uh, I guess, uh, last year when I moved across to Queenstown at the local uh, Cargo at Gantley's pub. Um, now he sort of was, he actually got me into um, buying a mountain bike here in Queenstown. So he, big um, billionaire entrepreneur, um, retired for the last two or three years now, trying to make a big difference in uh, trying to make a huge difference to this part of the world. Uh, so basically, um, very hard man to get down. So I did approach him to do a podcast personally. Um, but uh, unfortunately, um, he's, he's a very busy man. So uh, so when I heard that he was speaking at the Queenstown Chamber of Commerce uh, event uh, here today, on Friday the 17th of June 2021, uh, I made sure I was going to go and I kindly asked him if I could record the um, the one hour, I guess, um, very good speech and uh, and about the 50 minute mark I get to, to ask him a question, but very inspirational guy, so enjoy and listen. and. Uh, Certainly, um, I really enjoyed listening to Rod. Very inspirational. Thanks, Rod. Good morning. How are we all this morning? Good. I did used to, uh, obviously, John Summer was playing tricks here this morning and said, wear your most silly jersey, everyone will be doing it. Um, uh, I, I used to come down here. Um, uh, when we started zero, I used to do the circuit to the chamber, so I haven't done this for a few years. Was anyone around then? I used to come back here. Did you buy shares? <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun to be back. So I, um, I first uh, came to Queenstown, I think, in 1987, my lift pass said. Um, I hadn't been in the snow before, I was into skateboarding, but um, skateboarding magazines had um, started to have... Uh, snowboarding in them, so I thought that would be good. And the local skateboard shop had a had, had a Terry Sims uh, snowboard, so I came down here, and I think there was it was the first year we didn't have actual little fins on the board, and worked um, up on Coronet Peak. So it was pretty fun. So always sort of had a relationship with Queenstown. But I stopped working about three years ago, which is awesome. Um, and um, what was really interesting was if you don't really have to work anymore. Um, that, that's a, it's a really hard decision to work out what life looks like then. So, because um, I was really goal oriented, I wanted to do, you know, uh, I wanted to get excited about doing something every day. And I was living um, in Wellington mainly, that was our main business, but sort of traveling all over the world. And it was super interesting with COVID. Like, COVID was the first time I'd had more than two weeks in the same place for over probably 12 years. And, um, uh, really strange, but very cool. It feels like it was um, you know, something that just broke the habit of travel. Mm. But as I sort of thought about where's the best place to live, you know, it wasn't really Wellington because I, uh, I keep bumping into uh, my workmates. Auckland didn't, didn't really, well, you can't when you sort of stop being the CEO, you don't want to kind of see everybody all the time. Um, and the weather's not great, windsurfing's good, hey, Chris? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, we won't do that anymore, once you have children, you can stop doing that. Um, you don't really, didn't really want to live in Auckland. You know, it's good if you're working. It's a fun city, but if you're not really working that much, everyone else is working, but, you know, traffic's too, too hard. 
you're kind of thinking about the other provinces, and then you, I just kept coming back to Queenstown. I was always into the beach and um, like skiing enough that we come down probably two or three, um, probably two or three times every two or three years. Um, but but I sort of thought if I did have another place, Queenstown would make sense. And then um, probably about two years ago, uh, uh, Chris and I, uh, a friend of mine, Chris came down, and we um, I went with a friend of ours, Chris Dawson. He took us uh, biking up Skyline for the first time. And it was the first time I'd actually been on a proper mountain bike track with berms and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know, coming there, I was like, oh my God, this is like snowboarding. And, um, and it was just so interesting that um, I was biking. I'd always sort of had a bike and, and sort of gone out a few times every month maybe, but hadn't really done proper you know, mountain biking with proper tracks. <coughs> and it was like, oh my God, this is something you do every day. It's not as weather dependent as all of the other sports. And just being able to, you know, I get your wheels off the ground and do those sort of things and just get better and better and progress. Gave me something to do every day. So I hadn't really thought of Queenstown in summer and doing those sort of things, and, um, but just absolutely loved the biking and um, just decided to spend more and more time here, brought a place here. And um, so interesting now, about 18 months, two years into the journey, how it just feels like home when you fly back in. I think one of the great things about COVID as well is without the tourists here, you get to see who uh, the locals are. And um, uh, that's been really nice, getting to know the uh, community. And even when it comes back, I think you've kind of we've had this kind of X-ray vision where you know who everybody is, and that's felt really special. So while COVID's been really hard for a whole lot of people, and it's nice to see you guys here, you obviously have got through it. Um, it has been a really special time. You know, we've broken some bad habits, and um, it's been um, and it feels like we we really are ready for the next phase, it's been a big reset. And my partner, Atlanta's just moved here uh, from Melbourne. And um, you know, from her point of view, you, know, you don't move to New Zealand to go to a smaller city. And uh, the connection, the connectivity between Australia and here is probably even stronger than Auckland. Because everyone who's doing um, serious business in Australia spends time here. So one of the really big things I've found about Queenstown, it, it is a true crossroads. And it's amazing the sort of meetings that you end up having here because everyone comes here. And when they come here, you have quality time. So, you know, friends that are, friends that are in Auckland, you know, if you go and see them in Auckland, you'll, you'll have a quick catch up for a coffee. But when they're down here, they're usually here for a few days, they actually want to take time to have dinner. So the sort of quality discussions you're having with the top people in New Zealand over the last year is, is really quite special. And, you know, take them out for an e-bike, you know, if they, so many times people haven't been on a bike for like 20 years and you know you do the easy kind of round lake haze ride first and just the euphoria that people have kind of having a business meeting on a bike and um, getting, actually doing something which is healthy is just completely special and uh, just before COVID happened and even uh, more so now it's not just the sort of, sort of Aucklanders and other people around New Zealand definitely Australians as well and what's been fascinating in all the um, business stuff we've done, I've never met a senior uh, person in the global tech industry, and these are some of the richest people in the world, who hasn't spent a huge amount of time in Queenstown. They all have, and, and many of them own homes here. So I reckon it's really special, and when you're at the stage of life where you kind of you know, um, have some goals and you're lucky enough to do okay, it's a really great base, it's very real, but everything's here, and it's, e and it's really easy to get somewhere, you know. It is a small town, so being able to just um, uh, buzz up to Auckland and have a few dinners there and then pop back is just great.
uh, and other people that are doing that. So um, what's super interesting is that is that you know the world has definitely changed, and you know a big thing about COVID is that people have realised that location isn't as important. So you can make a rational decision, and I think what's cool about here is people who who are living here have made a decision to be here. Is that you can make a rational decision to build a different kind of life and a different type of career and different types of businesses from here, which is super, super exciting. Because people don't really expect that, like, you know, that you're going to uh, do meetings in offices. They're more than happy to jump on Zoom. So, so it just doesn't matter where you are. So, um, with the, with the, so there was a nice kind of groundswell about that anyway. And then when COVID happened, it became kind of urgent to think about projects and doing some other things. So, um, so, so it's kind of the vision I have for New Zealand and Queenstown specifically, is we should be this sort of globally connected uh, place, a place where people want to come and spend some time in. They don't need to live here all the time, but it is that perfect meeting place, and it's a very inspirational place for people that are smart enough to um, you know, prioritise key parts of their life, like having fun, like being healthy, like doing sport, but also doing world-class work. And um, so a lot of the uh, projects I've been doing are kind of all about that theme. And what's lovely about not, uh, about not having to work full-time is you have time to just go and do stuff. And because you don't have a vested interest in any one thing, um, you know, the doors are usually pretty open to just kind of make things happen and have big conversations and... You know, it's actually fun for me going and just talking to people and trying to make trying to make things happen. So we know a few of those that I wanted to kind of uh, tell you guys about. Um, so um, I think a really uh, a really key thing is here: how do we get talent back in? And it's it seems to me important if we're going to diversify away from tourism. Not saying that tourism is bad or anything; it's fantastic. But how do you build kind of sustainable other types of work where there's people and money and job creation going on? And the tech industry is obviously a key way that we can do that because it's very location independent. So quite a lot of the work we've been doing is around um, creating the uh, foundations to get some tech here. It's not about making Queenstown uh, the Silicon Valley of a mixed Silicon Valley because uh, that's quite a different thing. But it's how do we take our kind of small slice of it and be a part of people's lives so they can be here. So part of that is really good infrastructure. So we've been talking about um, talking basically a meeting with Jim and with uh, Spark on um, Tuesday actually, and then pushing them pretty hard to see if we can bring forward fiber. Um, so you know there are you know uh, there are areas with some good fiber, but. Um, you know, it's not great. Certainly, Ryan and Sparecraft Flat is, you know, we, 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 I don't believe we get fiber there. We're part of the rural broadband scheme. But you can't even hold a cell phone call going through Arthur's Point. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if I've got 20 minutes in the car, I'm on the phone, and it's so frustrating. Um, so we're trying to fix that. Um, that would be a really nice one. That should get fixed by the end of the year, just on stuff that's happening. Um, but we, we can be quite innovative around that as well. So one of the kind of crazy ideas we've been having is um, you know could we roll out a full proper 5G network experience here? So the the 5G that was around that they're putting up in Auckland and um, with Vodafone Spark at the moment is real 5G. It's like marketing 5G. Um, and if you're watching America's cuts both, it certainly wasn't any faster than four. So um, we I think we have a kind of interesting opportunity because the reason you would do it here is everyone comes through here, so you can actually show what it's like. And if we build innovation centres and precincts having amazing connectivity uh, is just a natural thing that you would do, right? So that kind of general infrastructure makes sense. 
Um, we also need to get better power in here. So I've been doing some quite interesting stuff with uh, electric car charging. We're actually looking at doing a project at the moment to roll out high-speed electric charging right through uh, New Zealand. And part of that would be actually getting um, some more power supply through the valley. Um, that would be a really big benefit. The government's, government and Transpower, as we this week, are, are quite aware of the lack of power infrastructure and the dependencies we have, so that's kind of good base technology. But imagine if, um, if we did have, you know, a, a climate thing came out last week, which I don't know if you guys have read it, that was the most woke thing I've ever seen, but it was, um, but there was some real good stuff there, right? But there's some, so there, there's some blockers. I mean, it's pretty brutal to charge tradies three grand on their utes for um, you know, rich people with multiple EVs to get a subsidy. But um, a more important thing is you can't make the rational decision to buy an EV at the moment. Um, because, um, well, the, the example we had um, brought a brought one of those Porsche Taycans, which is fantastic, and my brother and uh, Chris here was really keen to drive it down to Queenstown. I said, "You guys are crazy!" So I think they got like uh, two hours driving for an hour and a quarter of charging in the worst industrial zones you can imagine. And um, so what we should have is every hour and a half have um, have uh, you know high speed three hundred kilowatt hour electric charging. So in ten minutes you can get you know another two hundred k's of driving in. That's a really achievable thing for us to do, so kind of working on that project at the moment. But imagine in five to seven years if we said that all camper vans had to be electric. And that's kind of interesting because the camper van fleets roll their, you know, roll their inventory. So you could actually do that quite quickly. Not only would that be nice for our ecotourism brand, but you'd actually know where all of the tourists are because you'd, um, <laughs> because you could have a mobile application and with a bit of smarts, you'd guide them to kind of where you wanted them to be. So you could um, you could have um, uh, smart you know um, you could have apps in the morning and if you knew that there weren't many people in that area you could tell people hey there's charging spots available here oh that's magic that's actually in fact just where I want to be it's sort of three hours away you could actually be much more curated around people go and kind of even out tourism um, so there's some really interesting opportunities around all those sorts of things um, another fun project we've been working on that that you might have heard of was the idea of creating um, a, a digital film studio down here. And that's super interesting. So, what a, uh, um, so what, a, what a digital film studio is, is rather than shooting to a green screen, the um, studio box has um, a whole bunch of LED screens that go around the back and actually on the ceiling as well. So um, you're actually shooting to a fully rendered kind of background, which means it just saves so much time in production. So Netflix shows like uh, the Mandalorian, actually Disney, Disney shows like The Mandalorian are all shot using this new virtual production and the, the technology that drives the kind of background sets is the Unreal Gaming Engine which is just huge. So um, what it means is um, you know, you've got people from the gaming industry now working with people in the filming industry so very, very tech stuff where normally you're kind of stuck inside building these big sets and models. It's very mathematical. And it's so interesting because the cameras are synchronised to the back screen. So as you move the cameras, the background's moving slightly. So it looks like you're in a really big space. And it means that if it's wet and all of those things, so you can you know, shoot all sorts of stuff. So you, have just, you build little four sets. Like if you've got like, a, like an office scene or with a view out the window, you might just have a, a thing that are built that just roll in. But then you can um, just roll it out, put your next four set in, completely change the background, and do a car commercial. So hugely interesting technology. It's about twelve million dollars for the screens. So what we um, and um, to sort of get this going, if we could have that, 
you'd get um, uh, film people here, anyone wanting to do a film studio would have more capability, you'd have um, training. Um, we've been talking to SIT and to Otago University about doing courses around this and having a facility where students could kind of build their worlds and then go and actually film while, this, uh, while it's not being used. So, um, and it's kind of interesting because it was a, a clear thing where the government could help because $12 million of capital is quite a lot of money, but then it's not, but that's not for them, but for an individual business it is. And the problem is there was four um, kind of credible film studio projects uh, that were kind of in market. So the government can't help, they can't really pick a winner. So um, what I did with Jim was kind of went around and saw all of the film, um, saw all those film projects and talked through them, hearing what they were doing. And you know, there's a chance that like Amazon or Netflix comes in and just does a big Hail Mary and you know, buys a big, you know, uh, is gonna do 10 years of production, someone builds a big studio, that could happen. But um, you know, everyone's kind of pitching for that. And, um, but uh, what we thought is if we could build this bit of common infrastructure that adds value to each of those four projects, that would be a really cool thing to do. So it was quite interesting, the uh, NZTE were all over this and they really liked what the Porter Group were doing. So as part of, they're, they're looking at building an um, innovation centre and they've been talking about a conference centre for a while. So the marginal cost of adding a virtual studio is relatively low and it's, I think, tipped them over the line to build the innovation centre because we can build this virtual production studio along the, same, along the same way. And the government's like, you know, how much money do we need to put in this? And we're like, none, you don't need to put any money into this. What we want to do with NZTE is test the investor migrant program. So take that $12 million of CapEx and carve it up into three or four chunks, then put it up on the NZTE deal portal and use that as a way to test that we can fund infrastructure from investor migrants coming in. So um, the good thing about it, it's a nice small um, way to just test that. So, you know, the government, as you all probably know, is really good at making announcements and then it kind of, <laughs> kind of drops off. But we've just like, you know, got teeth into this one and using it as a way to just actually test the system. So it's not just that we're building a virtual studio, we're actually going to test that we can fund some infrastructure, uh, which will be quite good. So that's all in play at the moment. We had a team of four from, um, uh, in, uh, from um, Trade and Enterprise and uh, MBIE down yesterday, and they're really into it. So just pushing, 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 trying to make it happen and um, right on that one. The other one we did was to uh, try to see 50 visas. And again, I was talking to uh, Jacinda a few months ago. She wasn't kind of convinced that um, there were people that wanted to move down here. So I said to her, let us prove it. So let us have 50 visas and we'll pick a couple of, um, of specialty areas that we can um, that, that we can build a bit of mass around, build a tech cluster, because tech people, uh, don't just want um, amazing mountain biking and good landscapes, they want to know there's other tech people, it gives them job liquidity, and um, also there's other nerds to make the... Uh, so, um, so we said there's probably two, two uh, uh, specialties. Um, one would be machine learning and AI, and another one would be the Unreal Gaming Engine, so that ties into the film project as well. So what... Um, Olivia Wensley did at Startup was to phone around a whole bunch of New Zealand companies and get them to commit, you know, five to ten, chunks of five to ten, um, uh, to, um, uh, to have new families move to Queenstown to get those visas, <coughs> but with those specialties. So a really tangible way to create clusters mm -hmm. and that, you know, that's real diversification. So that uh, looks pretty good as well. 
So I don't know if you guys were at the Innovation Centre launch with the Porters a few weeks ago, but Grant Robinson was there, and um, I said to you know, at the end, I think they were going to thought they were going to walk over there and ask questions, and I said, Grant, our 50 visas, where they, where where are they? And he said, Rod, I knew you would be here. Um, we're all go, it's all good. You can start hiring people tomorrow. Oh, fantastic! And then of course. We're talking to NZT on Monday, I said, well, it's not quite like that. <laughs> so, um, again, we just um, got a teeth in the bone on that one, because that, again, is a perfect experiment, and 50 is perfect, because it doesn't blow up the housing market, yeah. but if we could make it work, it would be great. But there's, you know, and even talking to MBIE yesterday, if we were really serious about diversification, we could just jumpstart it. So companies like Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Google, um, a, a lot of their overseas engineers all got kicked out of the states under Trump, and um, you know we've got a whole lot of super smart engineers in India and in Eastern Europe and all around the world, <coughs> in, in, in Australia even, that aren't allowed in the states. That'll start opening up. They don't want to go to the states because it's scary. So if we said, look, we wanted to create a you know a thousand person campus for any of those players, they'd be into it straight away. So we don't, in New Zealand, we don't usually think sort of bold and big like that, but if we wanted to, we could immediately see the global tech cluster. But with um, this, this sort of 50 ones is a great place to start anyway. So that's good. But what that does mean though is um, we have to um, work on affordable housing um, because um, you know, the, the house prices are at the high end are going nuts, as most of you would know, and we haven't even really opened the borders up yet. A lot of the super rich, uh, more right-wing people in the U.S. have been here for years. They've all had their, um, you know, their homes in their gated communities and their bolt poles on this side of the world. But it's going to be the more kind of liberal left people really escaping the states that want to um, come and come and move here because they really want the lifestyle and that sort of stuff and be part of the communities. So um, the, the inbound demand for people living here will be huge. Um, so building affordable housing is, is, is really important so we can have those kind of normal workers being here. We don't want that kind of you know, mainstream people with a few kids that are doing really good big work. You know, they need to be able to afford to live here. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a fun project. And some really interesting ones, again, using New Zealand as a, a test lab um, and Queenstown as a test lab. So when COVID happened, you know, I was still thinking about what are the kind of big problems we have, and one is obviously the, the uh, Frankton Road. And, um, you know, I've seen plans of, of gondolas and water ferries and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I was thinking about how can we use tech to solve that problem, that transport issue. So I did a bit of a search around. There was a really interesting company, uh, uh, one of Australia's most famous entrepreneurs, who spends a bit of time here, Mike Cannon-Brooks, had invested in an in a autonomous taxi company called Zooks. Uh, which is doing some great work in San Francisco, building these kind of four or five person taxi pods that you know that basically replace taxis. So I had a good look at them, met, um, talked to their CEO, but actually realised that wasn't probably the right thing for here, and found this really interesting company called Dromos, who have these four or five person pods similar, but what how they work is they operate in a 1.4 metre wide dedicated corridor. So the little pods that sort of come past and you jump, jump in the pod, so you jump in your own one, you don't share it, and then it races you down this 1.4 metre wide corridor, so essentially painted lines on the road. So it's not trying to interact with normal traffic, it's going down its own little cycleway, it's quite interesting. And um, they've just won, uh, they've put it in um, at in uh, Munich, there's a university 
over the other side of an airport and they had a um, kind of pedestrian tunnel that went underneath and above the cycleway they built a concrete lane to get students across underneath the runway so it's been working and I think they've just won uh, a massive project in Cambridge but it's just early days and these are long cell projects so um, we worked with the uh, council here and did some modelling and it looks like a really good solution so you can absolutely get three, three metres uh, down um, uh, down through Frankton Road and the idea is you might start off just going from the airport into town but eventually as you get as, as you know get more comfortable with it you can run the painted lines around the road to all of the hotels so you don't stop you just go right through the hotel down the lane and the great thing is when they're not being used um, during the day as much you can do your retail restocks so um, your um, you know, trucks would come to a depot uh, they would offload, break the break, break it up, and put it into uh, these little little pods, and then it can race down the service lanes. And if you're at Jeans West or something, you get a ping on your app, hey, your box of jeans is going to arrive out the back. So it's quite a cool bit of technology. So um, council was really supportive. So then I went to spoke to Nicole from uh, NZ Transit, uh, NZTA, what one, one of those ones, and. Um, then spoke to Phil Twyford, who was the minister at the time, and um, that led to a guy called Richard Cross at Transport's been doing a bunch of work on that. And it was really interesting because the um, LTSA said this actually would be super good for Wellington as well because we'll never get another tunnel through Mount Vic. But the little single lane bus tunnel, that would become three lanes, so you could have an out and back network to the airport and cycleway through there as well. So quite cool technology, and um, they've appointed Becca to have a look at that and they're meant to report back in uh, September whether we use um, uh, this as a trial. But it may be that we could even run around the edge of the airport before we put it on roads, just actually get it, get some units running around the edge of the airport, <coughs> and then potentially if there's a innovation centre around Remarkables Park, a little bit there, airport to Remarkables Park, you know, to just a few k's, but eventually down Frankton and around, but you can go all the way out to Jack's Point or even to Arrowtown. That'd be kind of cool. That was a fun one. There's probably a few more. Um, and then um, doing all the stuff with bikes, so um, uh, made sense to me that um, if we want to, you know, um, Queenstown is so well positioned, it's already seen as, a, as just an amazing place. If you watch the, as I've got into the mountain biking community, you can watch all the top guys who are on Instagram and YouTube when they get interviewed, where's their favourite place? It's always Queenstown. And because, uh, you know, we've got um, a great vertical, great views, all of those sort of things, we've got Skyline. And um, uh, it seemed to me, though, that as you talk to people, a lot of, a lot of other places have worked out bike as a strategy. So um, there's Derby in Tasmania. They've basically turned that into a bike town. There's one outside of Melbourne uh, called Warburton. Uh, there's a famous place called Bentonville in Arkansas, I think, which the Walmart family have spent tens of millions of dollars building bike trails right through the city as a way to attract workers coming in. So um, the difference between bike and ski is with um, ski, there's strong actors that are lobbying and doing marketing and they've got full-time employees whose job is to promote ski. With biking, it's very much grassroots, but the beneficiaries are small businesses all over town. So kind of the vision I've been working on is um, we should absolutely be making Queenstown the whistler of the Southern Hemisphere. Um, but to do that requires a bit of um, gas and, and leaning into stuff. So, We'd find all these great trails, and they had nanobike <coughs> club signs running in, and I couldn't believe these are volunteer, largely volunteer-built trails. 
So I spoke to the mountain bike club and said, oh, I could give me some money to build some more trails. And I actually, uh, maintenance is our biggest issue, so it's, easy, it's actually quite easy to raise a bit of money to build new trails. But we actually need a, a maintenance commitment to make the, good, uh, make the ones that are there good. Um, and there's a, the council gets a bit nervous about building new trails without maintenance budget. So um, we gave the committed three years of 100 grand funding to the mountain bike club to start doing maintenance and then a bit of money for some new trails. And the experience has been amazing. The amount of uh, feedback we have on how good they are. Like this is the cheapest stuff we can do to provide another really strong kind of pillar to what Queenstown's all about. So we've um, committed to uh, spend, spend at least a million bucks over the next year in, in doing trails. So we're doing so much good stuff out of, out, on the free stuff. We actually thought we should actually do something with Skyline. So Skyline's pretty special, being a lift access park and um, right in town. So we're committing with Skyline that we'll, we're gonna fund the complete birthday of, um, of all of the trails, because it's getting pretty janky out there. And the standard of other trails, like Glendu and other things, have just lifted. So where we were the best 10 years ago, we're not now. So the I and, and also a lot of the, you know, we have world-class trail builders that normally take off at this time of year and are building crank works and other places around the world. So we want to keep all those um, people busy here over winter. So I think we've got four or five crews that are going to um, just go really hard building Skyline, keep building some stuff um, at Wynyard. Um, so we really want to lift the game, but it's also really frustrating. We've got a, a great Red Bull sponsored athlete here and the idea was we wanted to build like a grade six, seven, like fully Instagrammable, YouTubeable. If you don't um, ride this line over our summer, then you're not going to do well at the Big Crank Works thing, that type of track. But, um, and, and the park seems super supportive, but it's like, oh, we've actually, we've got to go and do some consultation about the use of Skyline, whether it's actually going to be for mountain biking or not. So we actually don't have the opportunity to do anything major new up there. We're actually not allowed to build a new track. Money's there. It's obvious it's for mountain biking, but we've got to run a process. So maybe we can do it next year. It's like, fuck. You know, but, um, but what we can do is through the existing corridors, we can make those world class. And we've got, a, there's a few areas with free rain, um, like, like up in Winyard, and we're building some good stuff up there. And, you know, McNeely Gnarly's world class. That new mini dream track is amazing. We've been doing a lot of work around um, ecological restoration, so I'm working with um, Adam Smith going to Sherwood, who's running the Tree Space Project. I've brought into that, we've accelerated that. And the guys up there, the Manatahuna guys, have been um, they're planting a thousand trees a day, so we diverted them for a day and put them into Winyard and, and planted that out, because it's a great you know, facility, but it's a bit scorched earth up there. Yeah. And we wanted the young kids to feel like it was their home, and as they get older, they'll watch these trees grow. So it's really nice going back and planting those trees. In fact, what we're doing with now building trails is making sure we put funding in place to do um, the tree, um, any tree restoration at the same time as well, uh, which is pretty exciting. And then we're working pretty closely with um, our friends of Lake Hayes. It just shocked me that you couldn't swim in Lake Hayes. And um, went to one of their friends of Lake Hayes meetings, and that was a sort of first heard of the Manatahuna guys, Jana Davis and um, Michael Rewe, and they uh, created that charitable trust to get um, you know, young people into work. And um, they'd been working with E3 Scientific in Arrowtown and actually had a methodology for cleaning the lake. 
So um, I brought a property that would be uh, part of the catchment, so I felt it was a bit of responsibility. That bit of land we brought would have contributed to the demise of the lake, so I thought it was right to um, go and see if we can help that. And uh, committed um, so far 1.6 million of funding to accelerate the cleaning up of the lake. So what we're doing is council is going to um, doing their work to make sure that anyone who's building the, the water is sort of no worse coming out of their land. Um, we're putting metering through so we can see where the nitrates come in, so we know exactly where the problem areas are. We're building sediment traps up in the catchment so we can um, uh, you know, stop nitrates coming through uh, down into the creeks, into the lake. And we hopefully just about to kick off a little bit of science project to see if there's any byproducts we can make with the sediment so that a small business owner can um, be incentivized to go and clean up out uh, the sediment traps. It might be a bit of equipment they need. They might be able to make some fertilizer pellets or something like that. Then there's um, really cool um, um, wetlands that are going to be put at the north end of the lake, which will slow all the water down. Some really cool science in that. And then um, uh, one of the issues is the culvert that was put in was too small. You can't get water out of the lake. So we've, part of the 1.6 is we're going to fund the council's, the Otago Regional Council just pissing around. So we're um, going to fund um, a, a larger culvert, which means that we can get water out of the lake faster. Then we can put water from the irrigation scheme in twice a year. So we should be able to flush it quicker. So I'm hoping we can get an outcome in two to three years, not 10 years. And that'll be a really big thing. Our kids should be able to swim in there. And uh, that'll be really cool. And, um, and that's been really fun. So the combination of uh, creating jobs and making the... And even though Lake Hayes is like a rich pricks lake, and because it's such a, such, such a visible lake, if we can clean it, it gives a, um, a roadmap, a data, um, you know, very, very much a data-driven roadmap to clean other waterways as well. So I don't feel bad about fixing that lake because it's so visible and iconic. And I think people will get involved in it. So I involve you to, you know, to get involved, uh, join the Friends of Lake Hayes, give them some money, there's all this, there's rabbit stuff to do, there's heaps of trees to plant, you know, get your kids involved and plant some trees, it's pretty cool. And um, then, you know, then they're part of the story. Um, so that's all quite fun as well. And then, haven't announced this too much, but one project we're working on at the moment is um, we're about to create an air ambulance at um, Queenstown Airport. And, and um, the, the reason for that is I'm involved in New Zealand Air Ambulance. We run a pretty big plant out of Napier and um, does a lot of um, paediatric medevac around the South Pacific. And I was kind of shocked that there wasn't anything like that down here. And a lot of the people that come here, they look at what the medical stuff is. So some of the diversity projects, um, uh, diversity projects going on are um, kind of some medical opportunities. And um, uh, private sector can probably fix some of that. But um, we could actually putting an air ambulance facility here. It'll probably just be to the as you walk in just the left of the airport, and that'll mean we can get kids up to Starship in about 90 minutes, which would be really cool. So it's a small jet, single um, single stretcher, but we'll have a really nice sort of greeting area for you know families and that to um, interface with the service, and then we can get people up to Starship if they need to pretty quickly. And it's actually not that much money for for really good infrastructure. Um, so doing that as well, which is quite fun, and a few other things. So, um, how can you help? Because you feel really guilty now. Because <laughs> so, you're not doing anything. Is, um, Pete from the new chair of the Bank Club is here. So what I'd love you to do is um, get your, get your um, staff in there out on the trails. 
like you know, taking a taking a regular few hours every month, rent some e-bikes and take everyone out for a ride if they're not doing it, to get people into it. Because there is literally hundreds of kilometres of trail and it's really special. People come down here. That um, New Lake Dunstan Trail is is unbelievable and the amount of people buzzing about it. So actually getting your staff out there and proud about it, proud about it's really cool. And some of them will be into downhill mountain biking as well. You know, as a business, sponsor a trail, um, adopt a trail. There's Wednesday dig nights, um, there's all sorts of maintenance to do, but if we can do all of that and just keep making them better and better and better, we really will become this whistler that everyone wants to come to. And then that whole of economic development and, and stuff happens from that. Because there's no one entity looking after bike, it's community, so we have to do it ourselves. So really happy to spend money to make it awesome, because selfish I get to ride the tracks. But um, the idea was to prove that it was good, and if we can all, you know, each business should has an opportunity to pick up a trail, we can probably do some funky stuff and name it after you, take some ownership, plant some trees along it. But if we all do that together, this should, this, I mean, this place is humming already, but when it comes back, it's going to be super humming, and it'll become a must-visit destination for every biker around the world, and that's a lot of people. So I've talked for a while, anyone got any questions? Yes. Um, you would obviously get asked to do lots of things and you know there's all sorts of things you could put your time and money into. How do you decide where to put your time and energy? Um, so there's some stuff that's an obligation, so it's kind of ring fencing it. So a lot of the startup work um, Atlanta's doing, so we've got a VC fund. So she's um, you know going talking to all the weirdos and that sort of stuff. I've kind of done that, so I don't have much of an interest, but she loves that. So there's some really great tech companies which are quite interesting. Um, one we've looked at is Zera down in um, Alexandra. That's pretty cool. That's doing world class work, and that's a good example. We've got a couple of key people here, but they're a very distributed business. Um, so there's heaps of those um, on the philanthropy stuff. You get it all the time. So. Um, but rather than doing a whole lot of small things, I'd rather do meaningful big chunks. Maybe later, like uh, Serene was doing, you know, you kind of just need to start spending money. I and mean, it's a crazy thing. You spend all your time earning money, and then it flips around, and then you suddenly realise it takes a few years to work it out that actually you've got to spend it. So I've kind of got to that point now. I've got more than I need. So um, actually doing fun projects is good. So trying to find good chunky things. And I, you know, you, you're always linking it back to your values, what actually makes sense, and we can have, have a good impact. But I'm probably in a five to ten year period of kind of working out all the systems. So someone like Sam Morgan, he's been doing philanthropy for a lot long, big philanthropy for a lot longer than I have, and he has quite big systems about it. Yeah. I'm much more kind of organic. I want to do fun, good stuff. And you know, my father was very much into um, you know birds and trees, and I, I actually wasn't that into it. To be honest, but um, you know, once I realised Lake Hayes was dirty, I was like, that's terrible. And you know, people talking ten years so you can swim in it? No. You know, how do we make that three? So those things that get you excited, and that led to meeting the Manatahuna guys, which then led to a whole lot of other stuff. And they're so impressive. They're um, there's something like two to three million trees that has to be built around, uh, that has to be planted around the walk, uh, the Wakatipu. So they're actually building nurseries now so they can vertically integrate. So there's some good examples of iwi groups that are building these really good nurseries. And um, you know, it's really cool environmental entrepreneurship. So really enjoying spending time with those guys. Uh, one of the things that comes through in the theme of your talk is your sense of urgency and purpose, and, um, which is admirable. 
And do you find this that's reflected in other areas or people within New Zealand? Because they seem to be lacking in this sort of leadership. Your observation is correct. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I'm kind of extremely urgent because, you know, kind of, um, it's like, why not? What's the next thing? Yeah. And one of our Natahu actions is, one of our Natahu values is appropriate action. I've kind of co-opted that into deliberate action. So for everything I do, what's the next step? And what's the phone call I need to make? But I was the same with that when I was at zero. So if I'm meeting some people, you know, doing like a Google Hangout and we're having a meeting, it's like, okay, well, okay, we need to talk to that person. Okay, let's stop the meeting and next week we'll come back and maybe let's focus on No, no, let's dial them in now. And, and I did that as an extreme case. When I um, first went to Hawke's Bay, I remember, um, uh, so, so I grew up, I went to school in Hawke's Bay and our cousins from Wellington used to come up and on the, I don't know if you remember, but there was the, Marine land, there was bumper boats, there was this slot car track called the Hive, and, and kids around New Zealand knew about this. It was a great place to go as a kid. And um, when I first moved to Hawke's Bay about 10 or 12 years ago, um, as the kids started school, um, I remember driving down and I was really tired. So I phoned the mayor at the time, Barbara Arnott, and um, I said, Barbara, Red Parade's terrible, it's awful, what's going on? And she said, I should come speak to council. So I went to speak to council. And, um, and I just showed them a bunch of things that we, we could be doing. And um, so then got involved and uh, created a little bit of a committee, like a, a plan for Marine Parade. And what we did was we created, I've actually got, a, I've got a, like an A3 piece of paper, and we I paid for somebody to do some artist sketches of what Marine Parade could be. And we deliberately picked a few s small projects that were kind of already in play, some ones that were um, pretty easy to do, just quite exciting, and some crazy ones like a wave pool or a cable ski park. And we um, kind of came up with this idea of if we could make it the best place to visit, it would then also be the best place to live. So one of the projects was a kids learn to ride track. And the reason I thought about this when, um, when, I, when, I, when I had young kids, um, if you could sort of take the kids out of the house on a Sunday morning and um, let Her Majesty sleep in, and then uh, if I took them out and as a dad, they were learning to ride their bikes, and there was Wi-Fi, and I could have coffee while they were riding their bikes, everyone would be very happy. So <laughs> came up with this idea, actually Chris Tremaine saw it, of this um, kind of learn to ride kids bike park. So that was a, a project that we did. So we had, I um, think Fulton Hogan came in, bid for it, but they got so excited about it, they put traffic lights in, it was all fenced. <laughs> And, you know, part of the vision was an Airstream coffee because Airstream trailers are cool. Just put a coffee cart there. We did all of that. And I remember, um, so, so we kind of had, had that as one of the projects right along the Marine Parade. Uh, we had to get rid of the dolphins because, um, you know, like dolphins. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's bad to have dolphins. So, you know, it was already pool. Why don't we turn that into a skateboard park and all that sort of stuff. So had all these projects. And then we said, let's publish it. Let's put it out there in the paper. And it can't, oh, can't promise that. So not promising anything. We're just putting a vision out there. We put the vision out there, and everyone went, holy shit, this is cool. We want that. So putting a vision out there, people got quite excited about it. And then, um, and then what we did was we executed our first projects. And when uh, the first really cool one was that Kids Learn to Ride Park. And we had all the councillors come down there, and there was something like 500 kids waiting to go. And as soon as they got in, the kids were so happy, everyone's bawling their eyes out, it was so good. And, but we locked in the culture of delivering a project. And then I remember a few years later, I drove back and um, 
uh, who was the new mayor, uh, Bill. I rang him up and I said, Bill, remember those, because he was in the council when Barbara was there, I said, remember, a few, it was only three or four years ago we had this vision, and you drive down now, Marine Parade is awesome. So you can quite quickly change culture. So being brave enough to put a vision out there, but um, getting a few small wins, and that's what we've done with the biking. So, um, you know, get a few small wins on the tracks, and people are like, holy shit, this is amazing. You can actually go and build new tracks. So um, that's part of the culture changing. And that same sort of principle, 50 visas, just 50, let's do that. Virtual studio, get an inbound investment on that. It's just, you know. If this, was what, if this is what retirement's like uh, um, for you, Rod, I mean, obviously Queenstown and this area, if they sort of carry out some of your your um, you know ideas and vision, I think the place is just going to keep keep uh, going and going. But I guess if there was one thing, if there was one thing that the most important thing uh, that Queenstown needs to change, what do you think that would be from what's what it is right now? Um, well, I think Queenstown's pretty good, but the, there is some infrastructure. Um, getting the getting internet connectivity better, getting electricity supply good, and building affordable housing for workers. Is, is, is the really hard stuff. But we shouldn't just be building affordable housing. I was saying to somebody before, it's crazy everyone bespoke builds their own house. We should be a test lab for um, you know, prefab housing, wood style, at scale. So you know, pick four or five different things and, and just go for it. I think everyone's up for that. There's a lot of stuff. Tim and Tyndall's doing some good work around that at the moment. Um, the councils, I think, would be keen to open up some land to do it. They know they're doing it. There's some stuff going on down Ladies Mile as well. You know, pick some zones where you can, you know, get, get people into their first house. Because it's actually, what's been interesting about um, COVID is inequality's just got way, way worse. So the, the, the you know, you know and, and you would know it, right? There'll be some households where, um, you know, um, he might have been a travel agent, she might have been a New Zealand pilot. Blah. And then the next people are kind of booming, right? And the house next door. So it's been really um, unfairly distributed. Um, but uh, you know, people that have been out of work from home have been okay. Other people have had a really hard time. I mean, we didn't have COVID yet. We, um, you know, Lance, she was in lockdown for almost a year, 140 days. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have it. We had like a, a yoga retreat. Are you going out to speak to the Wapatipu High School? Yeah, I'm on that, yeah. And what are you going to be speaking to them about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Make it up on the car on the way there. Yeah. Not really, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever they ask. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, coming back to the virtual studio void space notion, yeah. um, to the extent you're com comfortable commenting, the Queensland film proposition has always been built on location, in that technical location sense of the word. Um, and the studio proposition on the back of it has been built on the location plus notion. But of course the void space construct is all about how location becomes irrelevant. You can stay home and capture location and export it to production facilities for all the reasons you mentioned about indoor filming and you know, all those great locations are painting the house and you can skip the whole thing. How do you see that playing out as a the location now isn't a draw card, but I now have a void space that can be filled with somebody else's location. Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's not or it's an and, right? But it, um, the great thing about having a virtual studio is it becomes a very stable, uh, stable asset. So because it's got deep tech, you've got deep tech people uh, that do it. 
So what we're about to do now, again, just to make it happen, I'm paying somebody to now pull everything together. So we should be able to do something in the animation centre, but it's a two-year construction. So it's like, what can we do now? So with the Porter Group, so if we're gonna, if we're gonna support and be part of your innovation centre, do you have some space now that we could use today and give us a really good rate on it? So let's you know, work that out. And then we kind of, we've kind um, we got a really good vendor that can supply us the screens, no matter what that's gonna cost, so we can build, build a business model. And then the next step is you actually need like a small five-person services company that runs the screen and is the interface between you know, booking the screens, getting all that digital assets in, and scheduling all that sort of stuff. So uh, at the end of this um, kind of two or three week process, the idea would be put a request for capability on somebody that would come in and operate the subsidized studio, and then that becomes their real business. So that's kind of the go, no go. So what I can do is push it to that point. And if, if no one wants to do it, okay, well, it's a silly idea. But if we get a whole lot of people wanting to do it, then it's okay, well, that's actually could be a commercial business. And um, so that's the kind of step we're at at the moment. And then uh, it could be used by, it adds value to film, but TV commercials, absolutely. And um, uh, you know, a big part of the sh people want studios is for wet weather cover. You can imagine someone shoots a whole lot of Queenstown plates so that we just have these digital assets. So you can be doing your big outdoorsy stuff and then some close stuff you, know, you can do inside. So I think it just adds value, it's not an either or, but I love that it creates a stable tech you know, a digital film and gaming tech workforce, which is sustainable, it's not just a crew that comes in and goes. Yeah, yeah. so, sorry, just to clarify, I was meaning more about the, the client-side demand for, whether the client-side demand to be here persists when the location is no longer at all. Yeah, so, so what's happening in, um, what's happening around the world of, of um, kind of content is, um, some people are getting into it in an irrational way, so Amazon just brought, well, MGM or one of those things for a stupid amount of money. Like, just does not make sense, no one else bid. You've got um, Apple with their streaming service, Alibaba has a streaming service, Netflix, apparently London is booked up for 10 years, so you would have to think there's um, a massive opportunity. There's a whole lot of um, Amazon and Netflix series being shot here at the moment. So that, I think, is what the big studios are waiting, they haven't quite hooked the big fish yet, but uh, that could absolutely happen, and I think this makes it easier for it to happen but something we can do right now is that. And in the past, you would mainly do, um, if you're funding stuff out of the West Coast, you'd pretty much have to do it in Auckland because people feel like they could sort of fly down every few weeks and see what's going on. They don't want to do another hour and a half hop, which is like four or five hours with your, um, your plane sink to come down here. But now, if you because you don't have that um, free freedom of movement, you're going to be coming down here for a year or two, and all those series are actually long-term commits. Mm -hmm. So you can make a rational decision to base yourself in Queenstown, fly in once, and basically stay here. So then schools are interesting. I mean, it's crazy we don't have a lot of um, options of, of, of schools. You know, doing an international school here would be a no-brainer, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you have any concerns about us becoming a victim of our own success? Like, in 19, 2019, we're really starting to Council's solution is that it's a race. So where's the central government money to 
lead to the structure. What we do is we bring all the people and then we go, shit, actually, if I can leave all this, we go far. It's all their infrastructure. You know, the, their sewage system, for instance, was like just as like that as much as the last four or five years we've been there. We need more funding from sector government. I mean, whether we get a portion of your fee paid or. Mm. Yeah, so um, yeah, that, that's a very uh, common concern, but um, I kind of feel like you know it's a bit chicken and egg. So you kind of can't hold back on that stuff. You kind of got to see what the next problem is and go. Um, I mean, the government is really biased against Queenstown. This is rich white people's um, space. Yeah. So um, you know that's just what it is, right? You know, Farquhar hasn't been here, um, and um, uh, that's just how it is. But I think the that hard com that hard conversation has been had, and um, you know Jacinda, you know was down here with Scott Morrison. Um, you know they do understand the place that it's here, and a lot of the we're a bit more coordinated with some other places. So if we start landing a few of these projects and become this tech thing, it becomes just a bit more becomes an exciting part of New Zealand. So I think we're all conscious. So that's why I said let's just do fifty visas now because we're not ready for a whole lot more. I mean that the you know. I live in Speargrass Flats, so you know the, that school morning run traffic is nuts. So, um, yeah, it's just, in Queenstown, it's crazy. I didn't know there'd be traffic jams here, and it's every morning. So you know, the, so there is plans for a cycle thing. You know, kids shouldn't be dropped off in here. They shouldn't be getting dropped off by the parents. They should be riding their bikes to school. They should be doing that sort of stuff, right? And um, at, when we looked at doing the culvert, I was like, can we do a cycleway under the road while we've got the while we've lifted the road? Uh, but it's too far down. But there is another one that's, I think, uh, sort of more towards Ladies Mile. So, you know, get some things like that done. If we can get these little buses going, that would be great. Get people into public, you know, more into public transport. But cycleways, e-bikes, fantastic way to get around. Um, but yes, no, I think um, the, the, if we can get some of, if, we, if this does become, as well as a great tourism place, we build this tech side alongside it, which is not now. There's just individuals, but they're all here. Like the top people in the world are all here, and and they, they spend time here. So if we can do that, I think it allows us to then invest more in infrastructure going forward. Completely hear the concern, mate. Rob, just can you step us through what your sort of two or three key learnings were from your journey through from startup guy, founder to CEO, um, now director, and sort of semi-professional mountain biker. Um, just <laughs> what, what, what are your sort of three takeaways sort of key success sort of um, well, first of all, everyone's faking it. <laughs> I was lucky I managed to retire before people worked it out. Um, I think it was having a really clear vision. And when I think back around sort of entrepreneurship, like I always knew that Zero would be successful because I could see it, I could see all the steps. So the way that I used to manage was kind of walking around seeing things that were inconsistent from that vision and I'd sort of put them back into shape. So I think having a really clear vision and then just you just instinctively know, and all your receptors are just, you know, that's consistent, all inconsistent, need to go, you know, need to go to work on that. And then um, a really big thing for Zero, which we couldn't do with our first few businesses, was having enough capital to execute strategy. Excuse me, so we've raised over a billion dollars for Zero. We're now in Australia, 20 billion market cap company. We got that because we had investment right at the beginning and always raised capital before we needed it. So if you have capital, you can execute strategy, and that's pretty cool. And you don't get to do that from day one, but you know, I've sold a few businesses, so it was it was time to do it. Yeah. Oh, and, and the other thing was, um, third thing, is uh, 
because Zero was public from day one, I was always working on the business because you know I was doing roadshows uh, right from the beginning. So I had to keep hiring people to be in the business. So um, at, at a really extreme level, because I just wasn't there, I was literally out, uh, not in there writing code, I was raising money. So um, I always, the job of the CEO was not to do any work. I, don't do, I, no, I did no work at Zero. I was busy, but I had nothing I needed to do because uh, anything that I had to do, I was like, oh, okay, right, uh, who can do that? So you're continuously building the machine, and that means hiring great people. So I go and speak at conferences, not just because um, I like hearing the sound of my own voice, that's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> it was actually more about finding talent, so you're continuously finding talent and nurturing and building teams and, and moving people on that, as you scale quickly, went up to that level. And when I did that, I'd often, um, very often, because they're usually great people because you work with them, they'll bring other companies and say, look, I've got this awesome person. Um, they're not quite right for us now because we're on this next scale, but they'd be great for you doing this. So if you're moving people on, and the reason I did that is as a public company, every six months you've got a report. So every dollar that's spent, every dollar we make, you know, you're sitting there fronting it. So you know, you've got your feet on the fire the whole time, so you can't muck around um, if someone's sort of not um, adding value to the team, or even worse, um, taking value away from the team. You just got to deal with it because I don't have time. Because in six months, every six months, I'm standing there naked. So, you know. To um, diversify our economy, do we need to be more collaborative? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, absolutely more collaborative. So, like, a, like a really good example would be that that one, you know, really big idea of understanding where people are at, what their problems are. So like, you know, Google, Apple, Microsoft, AWS have a massive problem and they've got engineers all over the world and they can't meet together. So um, to understand that problem, you can say, well, you know, here's a solution to it. You could all come to, you know, what if you wanted to come to New Zealand, here's a campus, do you want to you know, build a $100 million building and, and all that, you could absolutely do that. Maybe Queensland's not the right place, it might be passing north or something, who knows. Um, but, but you know, it is collaborating using our Kiwi network. So there's so many Kiwis around all the top businesses, you can really get into them. And, um, you know, collaborating and, and kind of working together. I've always thought networking is paying it forward. Um, when I was young, uh, growing, growing up, you know, you'd sort of get business cards, but I'd always think, okay, what does that person need? And then always, like the next day, someone kind of, oh, and I'd just do intros all the time. Intro, 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 adding value. And then I remember someone said it to me 10 years ago. I didn't even consciously do it. It just, just felt like the right thing to do. Because you know, if you keep paying it forward, it becomes back times 10. And, um, and, and so creating collaborations, just doing things for other people. And at the right time, always the right people kind of appear back. So I just made that as a habit, always adding value to people I've connected with. Didn't answer your question, but <laughs> I'm saying it. Yeah. Hindsight's a wonderful thing for all the people in the room that didn't invest in zero. <laughs> uh, what, what tech company do you look at now and think? Yeah, I'm the worst investor in the world. So, um, so I didn't buy Tesla. I was all hype, and then Elon Musk said, "We're going to we're going to take it private at 4:20," and uh, it was like 300 bucks. So. Oh yeah, I believe that. So I um, put some money in, then then the share price dropped completely. 
mm-hmm. and it was down to 200 bucks and then it went up to then then I um, what did the then it went up to 700 and then uh, then the coronavirus happened I thought, oh shit that can't be that can't be good so I uh, sold then and was ready to buy back and it came back to about three or four oh, about 400 and I was, remember I was talking to the, the guy on the phone and said no did one more day to go lower didn't go lower and then it stock split like times five and now oh, it's six, 600 bucks or something so it's so yeah so I was out like 10x <laughs> so I wanted one more day before buying anyone who just had held it long term would have done so much better I think Tesla is amazing and um, Amazon is an incredible Amazon web services but Apple still just ch- ch- all those fang stocks you know um, not Facebook because we hate them um, you know Amazon Google um, those companies are just huge um, from a New Zealand point of view um, I don't really know I kind of Decide not to kind of look at it's like the old days, not to get upset. So, okay, what can I do? Bike trails. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a mountain bike club there that, like every significant business here, you know, you do that one thing, you know, a little bit of philanthropy, get your people involved, and uh, get out there riding. You know, learning to jump in your 50s, can't be cool. Thanks everyone. Appreciate it.